those pieces that certainly proves that there are good hymns out there uh, that have been written in recent times and wonderful words in that uh, that we can affirm this evening the Lord as our rock and our redeemer. Turn with me in your Bibles this evening please to the book of Exodus. We're turning to the book of Exodus please in the chapter 30 and we're going to read from the verse 17. Uh, we're coming to consider the labor this evening. Uh, the labor and uh, we'll find out a little bit more about that through these readings and as we go on through. I would like to read just three uh, short passages this evening as we begin, um, all re relating to our labor. Uh, we'll start in Exodus 30, the verse 17. And this is the word of the Lord, and it reads this. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make a labor of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. So it's between the tent and the altar that we considered last week. Just before you enter in uh, to the tent, this labor would have sat just outside the door. Verse 19. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. The priests shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord, so they shall wash their hands and their feet that they die not. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. Another reading, please, in the Exodus chapter 38 and the verse 8. Just the one verse here relating to the labor. It tells you a little bit more about what the labor was made out of. Uh, Exodus 38, please, in the verse 8. And there we read. And he, that is Moses, uh, made the labor of brass and the foot of it of brass of the looking glasses or the mirrors of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So there's the idea of a mirror uh, being used uh, to create and make this labor, this wash hand basin, if you like. One final reading, please. It's in Exodus 40. And the verse 30, Exodus 40 and the verse 30. This tells us again where the labor was to be placed. Exodus 40 and the verse 30. And he, Moses, set the labor between the tent of the congregation and the altar and put water there to wash with all. And Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet thereat. And when they went into the tent of the congregation, and when they came near unto the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And we trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to each of our hearts this evening. Back in the 1840s, one of the world's famous medical centers was in Vienna in Austria. And if you were rich enough and you had a medical problem, this was the clinic of the day. This is where you would go to. But they had a problem. 
in their maternity wards, women were dying at a frightening rate of one in six pregnant women. About 20% of the women who were pregnant were dying. And doctors of the day felt that the death rate was due to the delayed lactation or excessive fear or poisonous air in these hospitals. But a young doctor named Semmelweis arrived and was placed in charge of the maternity ward. And he was troubled by the death rate. And he decided to observe the women who were examined by the doctors and medical staff. He noticed that the women who were examined became sick and died. But much more than often, the women who weren't examined, they seemed to survive. And he realized that before going into the maternity ward, these doctors often went to the morgue and examined bodies of people who had died in the previous 24 hours. Then immediately afterwards, without washing their hands, the medical staff would have visited the pregnant mothers to examine them. Sensing the connection, Dr. Semmelweis instituted a strict policy. Any medical, medical student or doctor who had visited the morgue was required to carefully wash their hands before visiting the maternity ward. Mortality rates immediately went down. Only one out of every 42 mothers died, a little over 2% death rate compared to the nearly 20%. When this policy was applied, this policy was applied hospital-wide and other death rates began to come down as well. Unbelievably, the reaction of the medical staff in those days was scorn. They howled in protest, they belittled this doctor, and they eventually fired him. When he was hired at another hospital in Budapest, he obtained the same results for patients, but encountered the same rejection by the medical staff. Eventually, he ended up in an insane asylum because of the obvious remedy for these mothers, it was rejected, and the death rate rose again to their previous levels. It took decades before the medical community embraced the simple idea of washing hands, which was the best way to control infections. It was just over three years ago that we were told that if we wanted to slow the spread of coronavirus, we must thoroughly wash our hands. And one of the main themes of the pandemic was wash your hands. That's all we heard. It was the mantra from government. Massive posters up in many places, hands, face, space, wash your hands. And that was all we saw. And then many a primary school teacher asks a child when they have returned from the bathroom, did you wash your hands? Yet in the Bible, long before any of these things happened, God taught his people the importance of being clean. In Numbers 19, God told his people that anyone who touched a dead person would be unclean for seven days. And part of the process of becoming clean again is found in Numbers 19.19. It says, And the clean person shall sprinkle upon the unclean in the third day, and on the seventh day, and on the seventh day he shall purify himself, and wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and shall be clean at evening. In other words, cleanliness was literally next to godliness and in exodus 30 this evening we are introduced to another kind of biblical cleansing and it was the cleansing that took place at the labor now we aren't given great detail or information about what about what the labor may have looked like we don't know the dimensions or anything like that we know it would have been small enough 
to be easily transported when the Israelites were on the move in the wilderness. So this picture this evening, it may not have looked like that. That's just one artist's interpretation of what he has read in scripture, what it may have looked like. What we know about the labor is that fresh water was placed into it every day for the priests to wash their hands and their feet. We know that it was made of brass, but it was a brass that would have been used as a mirror to see a reflection of yourself, as we read in Exodus 38. And it was made up of looking glasses or mirrors. Now, last time we visited the tabernacle, we took the journey with the Israelite who had sinned. And he brought his wee lamb to be sacrificed at the altar. And as he approaches, of course, we thought about this curtain that was round about. And it was white, reminding him of the purity of the Lord. And there was only one way to enter into the courtyard of the tabernacle, and that was here at the eastern gate. Only one way in, reminding us how the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. And of course, as he took his wee lamb, he took it to the altar of sacrifice where the fire is burning here, where the animal would have been sacrificed to atone for that sinning Israelite sin. And now we continue the journey on towards the tabernacle, not with the Israelite who had sinned, but with the priest. That's important. The Israelite who has sinned, he only got to the altar, but it was the priest that would have continued on down. And here, just outside the, the door of the tent, you would have seen the labor. You can see our little priest here, and he's washing himself before he goes on. And it was the priest who would have approached. So this week we walk past the altar and we go with the priest to the labor. Sacrificing at the altar was a messy business. And if the priests were going to be able to go into the holy place, they needed to get rid of anything that would defile them. The dust from the ground on their hands and their feet. The blood that would have been on their hands from the different parts of the animal's body due to the sacrifices that had been made. They had to be clean. They had to be washed. And this was the only way that they could approach the Lord. You'll notice that in the passage this evening in chapter 30, they had to wash their hands or their feet so that they did not die. This is how holy the Lord is. They had to wash their hands and their feet. Before they entered into the holy place. It was a command of the Lord. And you know. This is yet another object lesson. On God's holiness. We have the burning fire on the altar last week. Now these men had to wash again. Before they entered the holy place. That's how holy God is. These men needed to properly prepare themselves. To come into the presence of all God almighty. Let me ask you. As I asked my own soul this evening. Each time we come to the word of God as an assembly and fellowship of God's people. How do you, how do I approach him? I know I've been guilty in the past of rushing into the meeting. Not preparing my heart. Not having asked the Lord to speak to me. So easy to forget to prepare our hearts when we come to this place of worship each week. But we must, you know, to spend a few moments to quieten our hearts before we come to the meeting. To come prepared to listen to the Lord's voice. To come with the right attitude. I wonder how many of us take time before a meeting to prepare for what the Lord will say. Just a few quiet moments. Praying that the Lord would help the preacher. Praying that the Lord would soften your heart. And make it ready to receive his word. 
You know, I love what the Getty piece said. We sang it last week or two weeks ago. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us for your in your likeness. That the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. There's another part of that and it says, teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity. So the labour, it teaches us that there is another cleansing that had to take place. Now all of a sudden you're asking, well hold on Peter, hold on, we need to stop here. Because last time we visited the tabernacle, we, we dealt with the sacrifice, which represented an atonement for sin, did it not? So, so surely their sin has been dealt with. Surely their sin is done with. The guilt of their sin has been removed. And now they're fit to enter the presence of God. What do you need a labor for? Surely from a spiritual perspective, they're now fully clean. The blood had been shed pointing to Christ. And we know that because the blood was shed, there was now remission for their sin. Surely they can enter into the presence of God. So now why do we end up at the labor? Another, another washing with water. Why is it needed? Well, let me quickly draw the distinction as we begin. The labor speaks of practical righteousness. Practical righteousness. That's the daily living out of a godly spiritual life. With the spirit of God teaching and guiding us through the reading of God's word. While the altar speaks of positional righteousness. The altar is a picture of salvation. And as you and I come to the cross of Christ as a sinner and had our sins dealt with, our position before the Lord is changed to redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That's what the altar does. That's what the cross does. It changes our position from a sinner to someone who has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So, the positional, the positional righteousness is dealt with at the altar of sacrifice. And then the labor is this picture of the child of God. And there are important lessons for the person who is saved and practically living out their faith. You see, we don't want to go on a journey through the tabernacle to, for it to be a theological exercise or just to familiarize ourselves with what the tabernacle looked like. Nor do we want to prolong it by looking at every intricate detail. But we don't want to rush it either. And as we apply the lessons to our lives, it will impact our Christian walk. And the labor, in many ways, it represents, it's a picture of the word of God and its role in the life of the Christian. It's a picture of this, what the Spirit of God does through the word of God. You know that the labor, it was made of brass. And it would have been difficult to destroy Fire couldn't destroy a labor. As I think it's a picture, as a picture, it, it paints the word of God. It reminds me, as we have affirmed in our opening hymn this evening, that no matter what, God's word will forever endure. You know, some people like Darwin have sought to destroy God's word with philosophy and science. Many, of, many people over the years have tried to defeat God's word. 
And believe it or not, they've made it, tried to make it lose its credibility. And you know what the thing is? All these people are now dead and gone. But God's word shall forever endure. Because it's God's word. And it's been there from before the foundation of this world. And it will be there after this world is gone. God's word will never ever fall silent. So even today, as all around us, even in our country, even as our government push things through that are completely contrary to God's word, even though we come under attack from many different quarters, we need not fear. We need to continue to trust God's word because it will never cease. And our God cannot be silenced by the critics of our day. Dear Christian, this book is precious because it is living. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It teaches us. It rebukes us. It encourages us on our journey and pilgrimage through this life. It tells us to surrender everything to our Savior. What does the labor teach us? Well, it teaches us about our sanctification. What is sanctification? Of course, this is the process of becoming more Christ-like. Guided by the Spirit of God. Taught through the Word of God. I just want to focus on two pictures that the lever paints this evening. Two pictures. We've really mentioned them already. But let's go into more detail. The first thing is this. It was a mirror. It was a mirror. Mirrors of that day were made from polished brass. No one had yet learned how to make glass. And scripture tells us that God had the people melt down the common brass mirrors that the people used to look at themselves and they would make a bronze lever, the, the priest, they made this bronze lever which was used to wash their hands and their feet. Why would God have them use mirrors to make this washstand, to make this lever? Well, why might you and I look in a mirror? Well, I will look in a mirror to see if my hair's sitting properly, to see if there's any part that I haven't gelled correctly. Or, or maybe I'll look to see if there's a part of my beard that I've missed shaving. Or, or, or maybe uh, before I go to the meeting, I might check to see that my tie is sitting straight. In other words, I look in the mirror to see things about myself that I couldn't see without a mirror. And when I come into the presence of God, and when I read his word, there are things about myself that will need fixed. Th things about myself that need to be cleaned up. Yes, I am redeemed. And yes, I know I have a right standing before God because of what Christ has done. My positional righteousness. But I still feel God and I still stumble prone to wonder. Doesn't the hymn writer say, Lord, I feel it. And as I read God's word, the spirit reveals those things, those places where I'm feeling the Lord. It's like looking into a mirror. And as I see these things, I'm prompted by the Spirit of God to address these things, to confess them and repent from these things before the Lord. But I can't see the problem in myself without some kind of mirror to help me. And that's why it's so important for us to pick up this book more often. It's a mirror that shows us where we stray. You know, there's many Christians who think they're okay with God. They're saved and that'll do them. But certainly that's not what the word of God teaches. You know, in the book of James, it reminds us to look in the mirror of God's word. And in the book of James, we're reminded of the importance not just to be hearers of God's word, but to be doers also. You wouldn't think much of me if my tie was sitting in some strange position this evening. If I turned in with messy hair, or you would think it's strange if I looked in the mirror, noticed these things. 
and didn't do anything about them. Yet there's some of us and we hear the word of God preached and sometimes we read it in our own and things are highlighted that we need to deal with but we just don't deal with them. We walk away. How we must look closely into the mirror of God's word. The labour, it was designed to reveal any defilements on the priest. It was a place where he could see himself. Exodus 38 verse 8. And he made the labour of brass, and the foot of it of brass, of the looking glasses, the mirrors of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. It was a mirror. And of course there was fresh water that was poured into the laver each day. Therefore the priest would be able to see his reflection in the water also. And so it is with the word of God. The word of God reveals to us our saviour. We saw that picture last week on the altar. But we also see the word of God reveals to us our sin. You know when we read the word of God and allow the spirit of God to minister through it. We don't see ourselves as we think we are. We see ourselves as we really are. Now that's important and I'm going to say it again. When we read God's word, we don't see ourselves as we think we are. We see ourselves as we really are. The priest would have been able to see anything that made him unclean. Blood, the dust that needed to be cleaned off before he moved into the presence of the Lord. And as we live in this world, the devil will try to corrupt us and pull us down. And it's through the reading and studying of God's word that we can defeat the devil. I need my mind cleaned of all the things in our culture that will suck me in. God's word is so important in this. And as I read the word of God, it ha it's an incredible cleansing agent on my mind. You see all these advertisements for cleaning agents you use in your kitchens and your bathrooms to get rid of bacteria. And they generally can only guarantee that 99% of the germs will be killed. When we come to the word of God, we come to a God who has defeated 100% of sin. And the Spirit guides us and prompts us and shows us how to become more like our Saviour. More about Jesus, let me learn. More of his holy will discern. Spirit of God, my teacher be, showing the things of Christ in me. More and more about Jesus. More of his saving fullness, see. More of his love who died for me. In James 1 verse 22 we read this. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. And is not forget a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. The child of God, as they read God's word, they're reminded of three things. They're reminded of their position in Christ. They're reminded of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And they're reminded of their relationship with God. The Holy Spirit teaches us. But we must then seek to live out what we are being taught. And live out our relationship and seek to please the Heavenly Father. The labour, it was like a mirror. God's word is like a mirror. Let me say something this evening that I think is very important before we move to our next point. Some people take the mirror of God's word and instead of looking at themselves, they, they, they turn it slightly and they start looking at other believers. Then we'll hear they're not living up to this. 
Forget about it. Turn the mirror back to yourself. Turn the mirror back to yourself. And see your own reflection in this book. And let the Lord tell you who you really are. So easy at times to point the finger, isn't it? At others. Don't you forget there's three fingers pointing back. A mirror. But also in this labour we see the washing with water. I'm pretty sure that when you get up each morning, you will head for the shower or you'll go through a process of cleaning yourself to prepare for the day ahead. If you're a sports person and you play football or rugby, when you come off the pitch, you'll head straight for the showers to remove the mud from your body. And this is the process that happened after every time we become unclean. It's, it, it's something that we do. And as Christians, we know that looking at the, that after looking in the mirror of the bronze lever, the word of God, we realize that we need to be cleansed. We need to be washed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Paul tells the Christians at Corinth, Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We need to constantly examine ourselves in the mirror of God's word, but then after that we must purify ourselves. But how can we do that? Well, John told the Christians of the, his day, and I quote this verse often, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in order to cleanse ourselves of our sins, we need to admit that we've sinned. And we need to come to God and own up to our sin. And we need to confess what we've done wrong. The Lord Jesus Christ wants his bride, the church, to be without wrinkle and without spot. And the only way we can do this is through the washing of the word. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 24 to 27 we read these words. Therefore as the church is subject unto Christ. So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Listening that he might sanctify and cleanse it. With the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself. A glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be holy and without blemish. Now this passage it speaks of a husband's love for their wife. But we see from verse 26 how the Lord Jesus sanctifies us through the washing of the word. Christ loves his church with a sacrificial love and a sanctifying love and a purifying love. He loves his church enough to cleanse her. He loves his church enough to present her without spot or wrinkle. He presents us holy and blameless. What does that mean? Well, it means he seeks the church's purity. He seeks that the church would walk worthy of their calling. He wants the church. I wonder, can you see the word here in verse 27 of, of the passage in Ephesians 5? In verse 27, the Greek word is endoxin, which is for glory. And it means in all its glorious splendor. In Luke chapter 7, verse 25, it translates it as gorgeously apparelled, as if the church were a queen. Christ-like beauty it's talking about. The beauty of purity, the splendor of holiness and virtue without spot. Uh, that means without stain, without wrinkle or without flaw. And when Christ takes his church to be his bride, he has given his life for his church and he seeks the purity of his church. And Christ is the purifier of the church through the work of the Spirit, through the word of God. You know, in John 13, the Lord Jesus was washing his disciples' feet and Peter says, clean all of me. 
And the Lord responded to Peter and he says, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. You know, the idea there in John 13 is beautiful. It's simple, but beautiful. And it should encourage each believer who falls into sin. The man would take a bath thoroughly cleansing himself. And he had then only to periodically throughout the day wash his feet. And here we learn as Christians that when we come to Christ, we took a bath and were bathed, fully cleansed in the blood of the Lamb. But as we walk through the world in this day and in our life, we'll collect dust in our feet. And we're in need of continual cleansing. And those of us who are in Christ are being purified all the time, cleaned all the time, cleansed all the time, forgiven all the time as we meet with God each day. I wonder are you starting to be reminded of how powerful this book is and how often you ought to read it. Too often people, they're taking this word and looking at others. We need to look at ourselves. You see, cleanliness is next to godliness. The labor is a place for the child of God to examine their self, themselves. Paul tells us that the Lord's table is a great place to examine ourselves. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. We're told that in 1 Corinthians 11:28. Therefore, every week as we gather at the Lord's table, we should examine ourselves at the labor of God's work and consider what has gone by in the week that's passed. And this highlights to me the importance of being at the table each week, breaking bread and taking the cup, because we ought to have a spiritual checkup before we come to the table each Lord's, Lord's Day and properly prepare our hearts for the table. I wonder, do you do that? I wonder when you break bread on the Lord's Day, is it just you're going through the motions again? Same thing again. It's just part of the routine. Or is it a point that you realise, hold on a minute, the command is the man ought to examine himself before he approaches this. In other words, to look into the mirror of God's work. Dear brothers and sisters, that's why the pattern was set by the apostles. They met on the first day of the week and they met every week. And they met to break bread. Dear believer, I wonder are you in need of fresh cleansing this evening? I believe David had the image of the labor in his mind when he wrote Psalm 24. Who shall stand in the holy hill of the Lord? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Note how the priests, he cleaned his hands and his feet. The hands remind me of our service for the Lord. The feet remind me of our Christian walk. We can be purified daily by this wonderful book before us. In 1 Peter 1 verses 22 to 25 we read these words. Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the spirit on the unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God. Which liveth and abideth forever for all flesh is as grass. He quotes Isaiah 40. And all the glory of man as the flower of grass, the grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Dear believer, I wonder are your hands and feet clean? I wonder are we daily walking in his grace? Let's be a people zealous of good works. Let's be a people who serve with clean hands and a pure heart. 
that we will be presented as the pure and spotless bride in that day that's yet to come. Let me just finish with this wee poem. It's by Kathleen Wheeler. This is what it says. He came up to my desk with a quivering lip. The lesson was done. If you a new leaf for me, dear teacher, I've spoiled this one. I took his leaf, all spoiled and blotted, and gave him a new one, all unspotted. Then into his tired heart I smiled. Do better now, my child. I went to the throne with a trembling heart. The day was done. Few new day for me, my master. I've spoiled this one. He took my day, all soiled and blotted, and gave me a new one, all unspotted. Then into my tired heart he smiled. Do better now, my child. His mercies are new every morning. Let's pray. Our Father, we bow again in thy presence. And Father, we have heard from your word. And Father, we're in need of the Spirit of God helping us to apply this to our lives. We're in need of some self-examination. Help us not now to sit having listened to God's word and think about others that needed to hear the message. But Father, help us to look at ourselves. <laughs> Show us our sin. Show us where we failed you. We thank you, Father, that our position is unchanged no matter what, that we're redeemed. But, Father, how we realise that as we walk through this life that we do pick up dirt on our feet, how sin mars us and how we need to wash our hands and our feet so often, how our motives and how we serve you at times are wrong, how our mind will lead us to think of things that we ought not to have thought. How will we, we often say things that we regret saying. Father, so often we feel you in the day-to-day -day life. But Father, we pray just now that you would make us aware of our sin as we look into your word. That Father, you would purify our hearts again. Father, we want to be that spotless bride. We want to live as close to the image of Christ as we possibly can. And we realise, oh God, that we war with the sinful man and the sinful flesh. But Father, draw us closer to our Saviour. Make us more like him. Help us to learn from this labour. Help us to be found reading your word often. Help us to be studying it. Help us to be meditating on it. How we remember the psalmist says in Psalm 1 that the blessed man is the one who meditates on your word day and night. Make us like that man. Father, as we come to this time of prayer, we pray that, O oh God, you would hear the cries of our hearts. That you would even hear us as we lift praises to you through our prayer, as we make our requests known. Oh God, hear each prayer that will be prayed aloud. Hear each prayer that will be prayed from the heart. Oh 
God, meet with us, we pray. We ask this for your glory. Amen. Amen.